Wagwan, everybody. Welcome to the Dis Afimi History Podcast, where we'll be speaking about history and as well family history and how history relates in terms of Caribbean people um, for the present as well as in the past and how in the past what that does and brings forth for what we are going through at present and what we can learn from our history, from our family, and take that moving forward. So I do hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you like it, please ensure to subscribe, like, and review. Thank you. In today's episode, I will be speaking with Robin R. Foster, who has authored a new book published under the title, My Best Genealogy Tips, Quick Keys to Research Ancestry. This book has some great tips, and I will be using it going forward as I continue with my own genealogical research. Ms. Foster has founded the group Genealogy Just Ask with over 64,000 members, where they provide assistance to family historians. So let's have a listen to the discussion. Good morning, uh, Robin. Um, I'm glad that you could be able to come on and have some time to speak with us today in regards to your new book, uh, My Best Genealogy Types, Quick keys to research uh, and ancestry. And before we start, if I can get you just to tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm, I'm married. My husband's name is Ellis McClure. Um, he supports me in whatever I do. Now, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, because when I decide to do something, I give it my all. Uh, the biggest thing was raising my, our only daughter. I wanted to give her uh, not only what I had coming up, but the best of what I could give. Um, I'm not talking about money, the things money buys. We were able to, to provide a church, uh, a home, an education through homeschool. And we even moved from Joliet, Illinois, now think about that, uh, to Hopkins, South Carolina. That, that was a big move. Mm-hmm. Um, and after being there a few years, she attended the same school as my family did long ago. Um, to make a long story short, she ended up marrying a young man. She has four children and two of them are twins. If you ask me about myself, I always say it's my family. (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. No, thank you so much for that. And the other thing is, you know, what got you started in in genealogy and family history? Well, unofficially, when I was young, I always liked to listen to my grandparents tell about the past. I used to uh, look at their photos and letters and ask who was in, you know, who, who were those people? And, and they would tell me about them. I, I always tried to remember the names of people who came to visit. Now, as I got older, I, didn't, I don't consider that to be in genealogy working, mm-hmm. but when I became a member of my church, I'd considered myself a professional officially in family search and genealogy. And I'd say that was in 1985. Wow, that's, that's great. And then um, now you have your new book out. It's called My Best Genealogy Types, Quick Keys to Research and to Ancestry. And 
This book is going to be part of a series that you're going to be having out on researching genealogy. What was your motivation that inspired you to write this series? Okay, I, I always knew I'd write a book someday. And I've done some books, but not, not genealogy books. Um, over the past two years, uh, because of the number of questions I've answered, mm -hmm. I feel it's time to start the series. Um, there's, a, there's so much there and the topics are there. Plus I know my audience, they want it. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's great. And then, because, you know, most people do start out with their genealogy, family history uh, research with oral stories as their guide. What have you seen when documents that are uncovered that don't necessarily match um, the oral story? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I'm thinking of uh, when I work with people, I notice they're very proud of their stories. And, and it, you're sitting there and assisting them and you're politely, you're nodding and being polite and listening. But when you start getting into the research and documenting certain aspects of the people's lives, that's when you, you see the faces that look uncertain and then there's a great deal of silence. It can be a little un uncomfortable being in a situation like that. Mm -hmm. But when I let them know, that's when I let them know sometimes stories that are passed down are not altogether true. Very we have true. to prove or disprove them. No, thank you for that. And then, because in your book, you may, you know, it's a huge priority on the documents, like documenting your family history on how this adds credibility to the research that has been done. And would you be able to explain this to the listeners as to why it's important in regards to the documents? Well, one thing, you, people watch you, what you do. That's what I think of. Um, when you research an area, for example, the county and state where your ancestors from, you learn about those records and document your ancestors in many places, as many as you can. You have put together something others can use. You, in that case, have gained or earned credibility. You, you can find yourself doing uh, webinars and presentations just on what you do. Definitely. And then can you just tell the, you know, the listeners the difference between what would be a primary source in terms of documents and what would be a secondary source? Okay. Primary sources are um, accounts that are made at um, actually at the time the event happened. Okay. Um, I think of marriage certificates, uh, deeds, military records, tax records, and so, uh, secondary sources are records that were created some length of time after the after the event. The information is supplied by somebody uh, who wasn't an eyewitness to the to the event. Okay, great. That's great. And then 
Um, making a list of the documents and the sources from where they are found, how important is that? Well, number one, I always uh, knew what was important when I started out because that's how I discovered where the holes or the missing information is. Then I try to think of which record I could use to document that point in time. To, secondly, you go back, I go back to my own research to document my ancestors before 1870. This was a little while ago. I was told that I would not be able to, to document my ancestors before 1870. I researched for ways to document my ancestor and I found records that existed. Even though I was told that, I found my ancestor in the 1869 South Carolina census, the 1869 South Carolina militia record, the 1868 voter record, the 1868 South Carolina Senate testimonies, so after finding my great grandfather in these records, I would never assume someone else knew more about my ancestor. Yes, definitely. In chapter six, you cover the emotional aspects of topics in researching of your family tree. How does one approach or handle the challenges that uh, some topics that they may come across? Well, this is something I'm very proud of my group for. Um, first of all, we have different people at different levels. The beginner has to have space to learn while the expert can share without stepping on a beginner's toes. The beginner can ask questions and learn, and eventually the beginner becomes an expert. All the while, only the, like the admins or the moderators do the correcting behind the scenes. Now, secondly, members have challenges with their family and they can talk about it when they get together with, you know, um, we get anywhere from five to 200 people connecting on one post in our groups, the main group that is, mm -hmm. and they come to their conclusions. It's nice to have a group that you can talk something out and you have so many people putting their two cents in. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Photos are not used without permission. That's a big thing. And the hardest problem that we have is uh, with newspapers.com as a subscription site, it's yes. shared. So these kind of things are worked out within the group. And the group, one of my groups right now has six, 64,000 people. Oh, wow. And so, you know, you can never say you're alone. You know how when you're doing genealogy before, you, you say you'd be alone? You, you don't have that. You have somebody that's interested in what you do in the group. Mm -hmm. Which is great. Great support to have as well. Yeah. So, and, and again, um, one of the themes that came through in your book was, um, again, was the sourcing. And I know we kind of touched upon this earlier. And, you know, the importance of that. 
would you be able to expand a little bit more as to why the sourcing of your documents is so important? Okay, um, the validity of your research is established by your sources. Anything that is not sourced is not valid. If I didn't source something, no one could use that piece of information. Um, sources provide clues that lead to other so historical records. Let's say you had a source such as uh, Illinois Cook County de a death record, okay? Your, your ancestor died and, you, and that was a death record. Well, do you know it? the fastest way to access more record types will be to go to the research wiki and search Cook County, Illinois. Now the research wiki is on familysearch.org. And when you get to Cook County, Illinois, you can look at a cemetery, you go to the cemetery record, go to a funeral home record, go to a probate or will, find a grave, newspapers, church records. Those, that one source led me to the rest of those things. Yeah. So very important, very important. And the, the other thing is the importance of, um, you know, in your book, you mentioned the, the dangers of assumptions in researching, because uh, it seems to happen a lot. And how can that lead the researcher off course and doing a lot of rework? Well, when we are looking for our ancestors, the worst thing we can do is assume anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never want to assume anything about my ancestors. That was just given when I started. Um, when I started, I had people telling me lots of things about my ancestors. I had someone tell me I wouldn't find my ancestors married in 1870. Oh. I couldn't tell her that she was wrong because I, I hadn't found them yet. Yeah, <laughs> very true. <laughs> I was it was interesting because I got to see what she thought of my ancestors. Now, I've researched my ancestors on both sides, and I've only, I've only found one that's not married in 1870. Oh. Uh, I have a lot of examples um, of how assuming would cause me not to find my ancestor. But I'm going to tell you about this other one here. Uh, almost everybody knows what it's like to know your female ancestor with her husband and children. I had one like that. Her name was Eliza Chick. I wanted to, I wanted to trace her back, but I did not know her birth name. Now, you know, that's, that's impossible, mm -hmm. especially a name like Eliza. Yes. <laughs> nope. There was nobody to ask or so I thought. She was my grandmother's grandmother. That's a long time ago. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandmother was dead, okay? But her cousin was living at the time. Oh. I called and talked to her. I asked her if she could remember her grandmother, Eliza's name. Apologizing, she told me no. Mm -hmm. 
But guess what I did? And I couldn't believe I did this. This is what I did. I said something that I'll never forget. I told her, that's okay. I'm going to call you back in a week. You're going to have a dream about her. And you'll be able to tell me, okay? Mm-hmm. And she said, okay. I hung up. And I'm like, what did I just do? (laughs) But I called back in a week later. And I'll never forget Rosalie. She gave me the names of Eliza and her children in birth order. Wow. She had that dream. Wow, that's amazing. When I got off the phone, I found them on the census. That's how I know she get, she given me the names in birth order because mm-hmm. of the census. I could have assumed that there was no one to tell me my second great-grandmother's name when actually I was told every name in the family and later found her husband had passed away a little bit before that time. Wow. That's, that's, that's quite a story yeah. and uh, quite a, you know, an amazing uh, to come across all of that. And, you know, in your book, you, you give the, um, the importance again of the, of, of presentations of attending webinars as it provides a, a different perspective on how to approach family, you know, history research. What would you um, let the listeners know as to how this is important? Certainly, there are many experts out there giving presentations or webinars. Um, No two are alike. You're you're always going to find something different. And, and, you know, you could be lucky or blessed and, and be in a one where you learn something that you need to know. Uh, Right now, Family Search has rootstech.org. They give, they offer thousands of classes. They're all free. And I encourage the listeners to go there. It's rootstech.org. I would also encourage you to follow the presenter. Read their blogs. Follow them on Facebook. You'll make friends with them and you will learn things you need to know about your ancestor. Definitely, definitely. And the other theme that, you know, really resonated with me from your book was the organization and how important that is in, in, you know, in anybody's research. Um, Could you just, you know, share your thoughts on that? Sure. Um, It's very important that you have your records organized. I don't mean on paper. (laughs) (laughs) For example, um, you might find yourself being asked or you might be having to ask for help online. How much easier is it to share the person as you, you know, as you're on your tree, the person on your tree. And if it's up to date, that's so much better. You could have your 
tree at Ancestry or my heritage or family search, wherever, but that's easier and you get better results. Um, earlier this week, I visited another state looking for two people in the same county. Uh, they weren't my family. They lived in the 1870s and I didn't take anything with me. I knew that family through, the, through my researching on them. I visited the library. That's one of the places I went to. I came out of that library with eight to 10 pieces of paper, which will lead me back to the 1860s. So do you know your ancestry well enough that if a historical society called you, you to visit them the first time, you would know what you wanted to find without looking. And so I tell people, don't, pre don't procrastinate. Mm -hmm. You may never hear anybody say that in genealogy, but you don't wanna procrastinate because that time will come for you and you wanna be ready and you wanna be organized. Definitely true, definitely true. And in your book, you mentioned as well, not restricting yourself to where you're re researching to only just let's say one database, such as, as an example, ancestry.com. You know, why would you say that you need to be flexible? Well, this is very important. Um, our online databases, have many of the same records, we know that. But I can give you an example. Family Search is one and then Ancestry have some of the same historical records. Now, you wouldn't know this if you, if you have only used one, okay? But they have different records. What I find at Family search may not be at ancestry, and what is at ancestry may not be at family search. I try to stress to my members that are in my groups that they uh, want to use both, or else they they could be missing in, in a historical record either at family search or ancestry. Um, for example, I was researching on FamilySearch.org, and they had a death death index. We know that's part of the story, the index, but it's something if you don't have anything. Exactly. Well, I went over to, uh, I wanted to see the burial. I wanted to know where the person was buried. I went to ancestry.com and they had the death certificate. So I'm at a point where I search both databases uh, on, on an ancestry. Perfect, perfect. And then in this book, you know, you wrote that, again, this book is going to be first of your series. Um, I just wanted to, you know, again, go back to, you know, letting the listeners know as to what prompted you to create this series. Well, I have, um, I have many genealogy just ask groups, and day in and day out, there's, there are uh, some running themes that I know people will find helpful if I write about them. Uh, there's one I'm going to be doing on death records. Uh, one on finding enslaved ancestors. That's the next one that's coming out. That those just examples. Mm -hmm. I have all these because I have been there just since 2004. 
with all these groups. So you know I have examples. Definitely, and thank you so much for that. And in addition to writing books, um, you have, a, as you mentioned uh, a couple of times, you have a, a website called Gene Genealogy Just Ask, where you know family history researchers can connect, um, irrespective to the family historian is either a beginner or an expert um, with some of the topics that you've covered in your book. What do you see from the members that seems to be a driving force for a lot of these? I think you've touched upon it, but what seems to be a driving force for these series? Um, well, the series is a way I can make sure that I, what I say in a presentation or webinar or in the group can be available to a wider audience. And also the people, you know, look, you know, it, it's written in a book, they have it. Yeah. Um, I've been doing them for a while, the presentations that is. And um, as far as I can remember, I have people who regularly follow me and the same people I know would appreciate my words uh, when they're researching. Yeah. I take what I see to be the strength and weaknesses and put them in a series. That's wonderful. That's a, you know, a wonderful idea. And as I said, your book was, um, was very well uh, received. I really, really liked it. And as I said to you before, I wish I had at the beginning of when I first started, but I'll use it as a very good resource um, for myself moving forward. And what would you say in terms of what is your call to action as it pertains to genealogy? Well, it's been set ever since 2014. I'm always, I'd say my call to action is probably the, what I do every day. And that is either finding people who don't know how to start their family history or finding people who are stuck and don't know what to do and help them. I, I do that by offering them the group. Wonderful, wonderful. And then lastly, is what would be the message that you'd like to leave listeners in regards to their research in family history? Um, well, all of us have roadblocks and, uh, in our research, uh, come join the community. It's free. Genealogy just asks. We, we have many people and they can reach out to them for assistance. They're people that, uh, were new when they came in are experts now. There are lots of people. Um, we still have the beginners join. Um, the most important thing that they will need to know when they come there is the place that their ancestors lived. Then they can start asking any question and get answers. I remember being a, a genealogist on my own and not having that kind of support. And so we, we, I keep the groups so they, so that when people join, they feel that support. Perfect. No, that's, that's, that's absolutely great. And I wanted to, um, you know, thank you for coming on again to the podcast and I'll make sure that the, um, in the show notes that um, your book and of course, genealogy at 
just justask.com is linked to there. So if people feel the need to go to your group and connect, they can as well as to purchase your book, then they can as well. But again, Robin, I just wanted to thank you so much for, for coming on to the podcast and sharing your expertise. It's been great. And, and thank you. Well, thank you. Hoped you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please make sure to like, follow, subscribe, and write a review for the episode wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you.